If you're new with us, my name is Chris Payton. I'm the lead pastor here and super, super thankful to be able to bring you the word today as we continue in our two-part series talking about the Holy Spirit. Last week, I told you a little bit of my story and two different encounters that I had with God growing up. One I called a truth encounter and the other one a power encounter. And having both, I think we all need at least one of those, hopefully. Truth, the word of God puncturing us in our heart to say, I need a savior, but also the power of God to see it demonstrated, to see the Holy Spirit move in a powerful way absolutely changes your life. Not just because God becomes evident and real, because we can you know, whisk away ideas or think, did that really happen? Or we read miracles in the scripture and say, is that really real or relevant? Or depending on how you grew up in different religious atmospheres, some even say that's gone. We don't need that anymore. We have the word of God. We have truth. And I would say, I still think we need both. We need truth and we need experience. But the the problem is a lot of times, as we talked about last week, coming up on Christmas, we treat the Holy Spirit, like I said, uh, facetiously, like Cousin Eddie, Uncle Eddie, with the Christmas story, uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, this picture here. We treat him like this. What is gonna happen if the Holy Spirit actually came Like what we're gonna read today in the book of Acts and Pentecost, what would actually happen? It would be weird. We don't want that weirdo here. And a lot of churches treat the Holy Spirit like that. In fact, I would say a lot of our lives we treat the Holy Spirit like that. And yet last week we talked about who the Spirit was. He's not a thing, he's a person. We have the beautiful dance of the Trinity, the relational connection, not just one God and then us, but God three in one, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And their beautiful dance of relationship that started creation, not because he was lonely, but because he wanted to share that relationship with us. That relational God, that community within the triunity The beautiful thing about God is you can't just have one without the other. To really know who God is, you can't be afraid that the Holy Spirit is going to pull a Cousin Eddie and do something weird. But we do that because we lack a lot of trust in our relationships. In fact, the problem with trust is we've been burned relationally. And so it's hard for us to leap and give that trust that that person is going to come through. Maybe you've had abuse in relationships. Maybe you had abuse in the church, even concerning the things of the Holy Spirit or power. Maybe you just see weird people and you think about the Holy Spirit and it like causes this divide where you're going, no, I'm good, I'm good. And yet God's going, I don't know that you truly trust me. Do you trust me? I am good. And I want to only give you good. And I want to give you my best. I want to speak truth into you. And I want to empower you. This is what God is about. But I think the biggest barrier isn't always just the abuse. That's part of it. That's surface. Isn't always just the unknown and the fear of lack of control. But it's actually, do I trust you? 
do I trust you with my life? Do I trust you to be good? This is a hard thing, just like in any relationship. I mean, you guys know I met my wife, nine years old, fourth grade. True story. Looked up on the stage, she's tap dancing, because she was a tap dancer. And she won all of the talent shows at school, so all the girls hated her, and all the guys were like, oh, okay. She actually won a national level competition for tap dance. She's really, really good. I remember seeing her and like, oh yeah. She's probably my first like strong relationship, seventh grade, eight months. That's a long time to date someone. And I told her I was gonna marry her at seventh grade. Like, what is wrong with me? A lot of issues. <laughs> Big trust. We go through life and our relationship crew as friends, and then we ended up going to college together and getting married, and this December, we'll celebrate 22 years. That's relationship. Yeah, you, yeah. We did it. We're done. That's relationship. And a lot of times, even in our world, that we talk about relationship and commitment and trust I think it, we're getting bigger and bigger barriers, having harder hearts, because we're just not sure. We see divorce rates, and we see, well, my parents like this, and I get that. All my family is divorced, and so it, it's just like, is, is it worth trusting someone, relationally connecting with someone? You know, at this church, we talk a lot about connection. Get connected, but there's always this barrier, because it's like, can I trust you? Are you just trying to get something from me? Or can we actually connect and have a relationship? In marriage, we have this thing called the honeymoon period, right? Where it's like, everything's amazing. And, oh, no, you, I don't love you. No, I love you. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. <laughs> and we love that connection. It's great. But we call it a honeymoon season because it's just a season. And then we kind of have this mentality, whether it's from sitcoms or whatever it is in our life, that it's just going to go downhill. Intimacy, love. Maybe you see that old couple, the local chilies, gray hair, staring at each other. Didn't even say one word, just <clears throat> grunt, which means pass the salt. And you go, no thanks. If I was a young person, I'd go, I'm good. And we're seeing that. We're seeing the delay, even in marriage, in any kind of commitment, because I can't trust. And then we wonder why. When we talk about God, church, Christianity, we're not talking about a philosophy. We're not talking about just a worldview, even though I believe our worldview and teaching could match any worldview and destroy it in reality. Which is why we're not afraid to have conversations, because we think we have the best worldview. We'll listen. We're not going to cancel you, because we're pretty firm in what we think, what we've heard, what we've seen, what we read in Scripture. But the problem, a lot of times, is we still don't trust. Because at the end of the day, Christianity isn't a philosophy. It's not a really good teaching, and Jesus is just a great teacher. He's God, and Christianity is about a person. It's about an event. It's about giving up your life to someone, not just something. And that relationship is crucial. I talk last week about my relationship and how God changed my life, came to my life. 
And I mean, I was, I was in love with the Lord. Like, that, that sound weird, but junior in high school, like, I was amazed. You love me? Like, you want to talk with me? You want to spend time with me? It changed everything about me. Not just the message, not just the church service, but a literal relationship with God changed. That connection. I felt loved. I felt seen. And it filled literally that void that I've been trying to get for so many different things. And that feeling does wane after a while. And that's okay, my good friend C.S. Lewis. He likes to say that it's a good thing that those desires start to wane or else in a relationship, no, you hang up, no, you hang up. And you fall asleep on the phone, FaceTime while they're asleep. If you always had that feeling, you wouldn't get anything done in life. All you would do is be together all the time, but God doesn't just have you for a relationship, but he puts you in relationship to also be on mission, to work, to do, because you're made to do too. But it starts with that relationship, and that's so crucial. Today's message is going to be brought to you by the number three. This was Sesame Street. So we're going to look at three different things. We're going to look at several scriptures because we want to match our experiences and filter them through scripture, not use our experiences to make scripture make sense to us. So I want to start in the book of Acts. It says this. So when they, the disciples, had come together, they asked him, Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? How many times in our prayers, in our wonderings, in our frustration, in our relationships, we ask the wrong question? They're asking what's called an eschatological question. This is the end times. Oh, we love to talk about the end times. When's Jesus coming back? When is this going to happen? Oh, this is, oh, that's why that happened, because God is judging the world. And look, look what Jesus says to his disciples, who he's been with three years, by the way, trained, loved on. He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. You're asking the wrong question. You don't need to know that. He's omniscient. You're not. What we say around here is your job is faithfulness. His job is fruitfulness. He'll figure that out. But watch what he says, but. Here's here's what you need to be focused on right now. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, then all Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth, to all the nations. He says, quit, quit worrying about, like, when is this going to happen? When is that? Here's what you need. You need power. And it's interesting because he tells them this after the resurrection. He spent three years with them, right? I mean, they've seen miracles, signs and wonders. Like, they've seen it all. They've experienced his love and his grace. I mean, he, he, he took off his linens, the last thing he did with them, and washed their feet. The king of kings and lord of lords. They've experienced such great relationship. They've experienced signs and wonders. And yet, he says, this is not going to save the world. 
What you know about God is not going to save the world. That alone can't do it. He says, in fact, you've had the best apprenticeship of your life. The smartest, most spiritual, best person you've lived with and walked with for three years. And you're not, it's not enough. It's crazy to think about, guys. Because we think, man, I'm an expert. I get, I get my degree. Or I, if I'm apprenticing under somebody that is the top of their field, now I'm ready to go. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. See, because the way we're going to change hearts is going to take much more than just what your flesh can produce. You don't have enough. And he says, wait for the power of the Spirit to come upon you. The first of three, we have these prepositions in the Greek. They're very interesting prepositions. And you see it in John 14. We talked about it last week. Jesus uses a preposition of with or in the Greek para. That's where we get part of the name Holy Spirit. We said parakletos, which means one who comes alongside to help. Help you, assist you, be with you. That helper that Jesus refers to. He says this, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor or helper to be with you forever. Man, you know, if you have the right person you're with, you can, you can open down, knock down a lot of doors. You're trying to be with the right person. I remember one of our, our pastors, Pastor Brett Fuller, He's the chaplain for the Redskins, and before he was chaplain, he got to know some of the players. And one of the players in particular, Daryl Green, good friend of Earl, there you go, name dropping. Daryl Green, back in the day when he was playing his heyday, he invited Brett Fuller before he was the chaplain, hey, come, come on the field, come down. And Brett Fuller's trying to get in and can't get in because they're like, we don't know who you are. And as soon as he pointed Daryl Green, Daryl Green goes like this and they go, oh, okay. Who you are with can open doors. And Jesus says, I will be with you. Like, I'm going to send my spirit to be with you. This is really powerful. But that's only one word. There's another word, in, E-N, in the Greek, but for us, it's in. 1 Corinthians 6 tells us this, that if we surrender our lives to Jesus by faith, that we are, and this is, this is a crazy idea, we are now the temples of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is in us. For us, we go, oh, okay, great, I've heard that before, maybe if you grew up in church, but for them, like, this is astonishing. They used to have to go to the temple, and the temple was this holy place with the sacrifices and the holy of holies. Only the high priest could go in it, and God's spirit would fill that place. And Paul says, here's the thing about what the Holy Spirit is, what Christ has opened the door to, is now not only is the spirit with you, the spirit of truth, the counselor, the helper, but he will be in you. Wow. That inner man, that inner spirit that speaks to you, that confirms who you are and seals you like we talked about last week. That inner, and, and that conflicts often with our flesh because we're like, well, I, I think this. And it's like, well, who are you listening to? The spirit of God who leads you and guides you into all truth is in you. Wow. This is what Jesus would call being born again, born from above. And this is a powerful thing, but it's not all that we see with these prepositions. There's one more preposition, the third, and that is the Greek word epi, which we just read. 
in Acts 1.8. Some people call it being baptized in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. They call it, you might have heard the idea of a second blessing, a subsequent work of the Spirit. Depending on what kind of church you grew up in, any of those words can kind of trigger you. In a good way, maybe a bad way. Maybe it brings a good association. Maybe you're like, yeah, I've been a part of that. But this word epi is not with, it's not in, it's upon. And that's what we read in Acts 1.8. The Holy Spirit, wait for power. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And upon you is different, right, than with, than in. It denotes some type of experience. It denotes an idea of God incarnate and feeling some type of presence. And that might weird some of you out, like some kind of presence, but you've walked in a room, you're going to walk into a Thanksgiving room probably, and you could feel a presence. You sense a presence before. Maybe you walked in this place and you felt awkward. You felt something's going on. You can't always trust all of your feelings, but I'm telling you, when God comes upon you, you know it. Now, we will start to argue about what that means. Does that mean you speak in tongues? Does that mean you prophesy? Does that mean you laugh? Does that mean you cry? Does that mean you bark like a dog? I hope not. What, what does that mean when that happens? And the answer is yes. It's not necessarily one thing because the goal isn't the action of the thing. That's a horrible go. The goal is the intimacy and then the reaction to what has happened to you called the fruit of the Spirit. Do we see love, joy, peace? That's, it's fruit because that's the evidence that the Spirit is with you, in you, upon you. We see this. And we see these three. I told you three. Different instances, I want to show you and walk you through how God interacts with people in relationship. And first, he brings salvation. I'm going to look at John chapter 20, verses 19 through 22. Jesus has resurrected. We're going to watch him walk through a wall and speak in his resurrected body to his disciples. Look what he says. So, when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut, where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. You you need someone to say that. They just walked through a wall. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. Yes, it's me. God makes himself evident. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, look at this, it said, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. We would say this is evidence or showing of the releasing of the Spirit to be with and in them that he promised them. This is salvation. God comes in relationship. The salvific way to save them, to give them the Spirit of God. And we need the Spirit of God to give them, as we're talking about later, this well unto eternal life that is with them and in them. And it's a beautiful thing. And we see this first with salvation, with relationship. 
But then the next, number two, we see this common pattern, salvation, wait. Jesus tells him, Acts 1-4, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you have heard from me. Wait to be empowered. Wait for the power. So we see salvation. We see a time of waiting where it's five seconds, five minutes, five months, five years. And then number three, we see empowerment. Now, before we dive into the scripture on empowerment, I want you to see this pattern throughout scripture. So we're not just making this thing up. You've got Abraham, relationship, covenant, salvation. You're the man of faith. You're going to bring faith and hope. I'm going to set a covenant for you and your children's children and their children's children, generations to come. And through you, the Messiah will come. Salvation will come. Salvation. And he's going to come through your blood. You are going to have a son. And he says, but my body, but I'm old. I'm 75. I can't do it. And what happened? Wait. Wait. Empowerment came when he was 99 years old. And through a miraculous birth, the Messiah ended up being born from, Jesus. You see the same thing with the children of Israel. They're subjugated to the Egyptians. They're enslaved. God comes through Moses, who Moses was approached by God in relationship and salvation. Then he waited 40 years. And then God empowered him. He went back and he goes and he tells the Israelites, it's time for salvation. God has said, let my people go. They go through the process. There's waiting and then there's empowerment. I mean, throughout all of scripture, David anointed as a kid, wait, 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 king in power. This is a constant pattern we see in a relationship with God because sometimes God has to prep us. He has to build that trust because maybe we have some receptivity issues. I don't think it's always because he's going, you got to work really, really hard to get to this place. But I've actually got to work through a lot of junk because you've been burned, you've been hurt, and I've got to chisel some things away for you to receive what I've got for you. Salvation. Wait, empowerment. Let's see the first church, the empowerment. When the day of Pentecost had come, now I have to do a little caveat here because I am a teacher. And we could go really, really fast. What is Pentecost? Pentecost literally means 50 or 50th. Pentecost is the 50th day from Passover where they would celebrate the wheat harvest. And what they would do is they'd gather the harvest. They've been waiting and it's actually a waiting period for the harvest to come. It comes first fruits and they give the first portion of God saying, we want to give you our best and you, you are worthy, God, of our best. But not only that, it was also after Passover, let's go all the way back to the Old Testament, after Passover from Egypt, and they put the blood on the doorpost, that was Passover. 50 days later, Moses comes down and gives the Ten Commandments. That waiting period before they were empowered with the Word of God, the words of God, that they relished and loved and everything was about. This day, this Pentecost, all of the Israelites from all over, all nations that said represented, would come and converge, and they would celebrate the first fruits 
of the wheat harvest as well as the first time they received the word of God. This is huge. And this is so important because God on this day, God ain't playing around. God ain't going, ah, oh, sure, this. He has everything marked. He has a plan. He is sovereign. He knows the hard times in your life. He knows when he's going to let go and push things through. He knows when you're ready. And at this moment, he knew 50 days later after Jesus is going to be crucified, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Because, see, you celebrate giving me your first, but I'm going to give you my best. There's also something really cool about the 50th Pentecost. The 50, not just to be numbers weird, but it's really cool when you see this idea of jubilee in Scripture. They would have these regular Sabbaths, the first day. And then they would have these jubilees, and this was a huge year of just refreshing the whole nation. After 49 years, that 50th year, here's what they would do. They would say, if you are in debt to anybody, wipe those debts away on the jubilee year. Don't you think that'd be awesome? If, they would say, if you are in servitude to anybody, you are no longer a slave, debt-free, no longer a slave, and they would rest the land so it wouldn't be worked. <laughs> I mean, it was an amazing, amazing time. And so that idea of 50, 50 days is this completion. And God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit. I'm going to give to you, and I'm going to set you free from your debts of sin. I'm going to set you free from your slavery, imprisonment, and bondage. I'm going to give you rest. The Holy Spirit is what we need. He says this. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a noise, like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. Keep going. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in their own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born, our own dialect. Next one. That's just one example of the empowerment. Let's look at a few more patterns here. So you don't think, I'm just talking about salvation, waiting, empowerment, and one thing, Acts chapter 5. Another story, this guy named Philip, a disciple, went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to this city. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what said by Philip. As they heard and saw the signs which he was performing, for in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. Now, there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. 
And they all, from smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had, for a long time, astonished them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed salvation. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. Now, when the apostles of Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John. He comes to the other church and they're going, oh, even Samaria. Remember, they were racist against Samaria. Even God is moving here. Okay, we got to go. He said, who came, they came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, for he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Let's look at this pattern. Number one, salvation. You see it right here, verse 12. They believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. They were being baptized, men and women alike. Wait, verse 14 and 16. And then finally, <coughs> excuse me, empowerment. They began laying their hands. You see this pattern again. You don't believe me? Okay. Acts chapter 19. And it happened while Apollos was in Corinth. Paul passed through the inland country, came to the city called Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we ain't even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. Notice what Paul says. John baptized with the baptism of repentance. Change the way you act and think. Telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began to speak in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. You see the pattern. You see the difference. I've, I've heard one person ask, like, okay, so you're saying, like, I'm not saved unless I speak in tongues. No, that's not what we're saying. Because we believe salvation, according to Scripture, comes upon belief and trust in Jesus. I'll put it this way. This is a great picture. I like pictures. It really helps me. And this is a picture of a well. Jesus says in John 4, he says this. He's talking to the woman at the well, the Samaritan. And he said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him spring of water welling up to eternal life. We believe upon receiving salvation that it's like a, a well God places in you this well 
And this well is what you draw life from. God speaks to you, thank you, this is who you are in Christ. This well can guide you personally and help you. I mean, at that time, they couldn't just turn on a faucet. They'd have to go get living water, like have water in order to, to live, in order to feed their flocks, in order to boil and cook. They would have to physically go get it. And he says, no longer are you going to have to do that. I'm going to place that well on the inside of you. And that's a picture of salvation. Thank you, Lord. I'm saved by grace. And I'm dipping into you, God. I need you. I, I'm in my word. I'm having my time. Yes, Lord. And we come and we have testimonies. Man, God's really showing me. God's really helped me. And that is a beautiful thing. And it is an amazing gift that God gives us. But see, when we talk about then weight and empowerment, here's a picture that scripture gives us. It's a picture of a river. Jesus says this in John 7, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Here's the difference. Thank you, Lord, for my salvation in the word of God. Oh, it's great. It's powerful. And it is. When you're empowered by the spirit, the rushing water is not just for you, but it's for God to work through you. The empowerment of the spirit is not to make you weird. It's to help you work. It's to give you power to overcome addiction and sin. It's to give you power to help someone else because it's so great when God speaks to you and it has to start there. Relationship has to start with God sees me. He found me. He saved me. I'm amazed. I mean, it is glorious. And the word of God to you is so powerful. But the word of God through you is awesome. We experienced this this last week. We had a group of our leaders in every nation. We went to Austin and about 125 of us praying, asking God to move in our churches, in your life, in our life. And at one point they said, okay, all of you leaders, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go grab someone you don't know and I want you to just just touch them. And I want you to ask, Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to this person? Ready, go. Y'all ready? I'm not gonna do that to you today. so we're leaders, so the, the, the idea is like you hear from Jesus. I, I mean, I hope. You have a relationship with Jesus. He says, my sheep hear my voice. So I, I go up to this one person. I'm praying for him. G goes up to the All our staff, we don't know him. Later, we hear some testimonies. G had a great prayer about orphan hearts and being a father to the fatherless. And afterwards, the guy shared, like, he was like, I, I've had about eight different guys with no fathers that God's put in my path, and I've been wondering what in the world is he doing? And G prayed that I'm going to be that with other people. Thank you, Jesus. And I guarantee G went, oh, wow. It's great to hear from God for me. But man, it's really awesome when he works through me. And if you don't experience that, there's a level of trust you're struggling with with God. Same thing happened to me. I'm praying for this guy, Terrence, and I have no idea, and I'm just praying. What does the Holy Spirit want to say to Terrence? And I get a picture 
of him in a hallway with a bunch of doors. And he's just looking and he's going, I don't know what to choose. And all of a sudden, under the door, a light comes on and he walks towards that path. And I tell him, I don't know what this is, but I just feel like the Lord is saying, I'm with you. I, I'm going to show you and you have all these choices. He literally stops me and says, I just talked to a friend this morning because in my work, I'm trying, I, I just told him, I have all these things that I want to do, but I don't know which one I need to do. See how the Lord loves people so much more than we know and wants to speak personally to you and to you and to you and call you by name and call out, I see you, I see you, I see you. This is how the Holy Spirit moves. And if the church wasn't so afraid to trust God because of the weirdness, which is a great ploy of our enemy, by the way, we would have some amazing offensive weapons to not just tell people about the gospel that we've received, but to show them a God that loves them. People that come and say, I'm really struggling with this addiction, I can't go to church, or I can't do things, and we don't go, get right, we say, God loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. Let me pray for you. That would change the world. One person at a time, a God who sees me and knows me and speaks to me. I want to ask the worship team to come up because as we conclude today, we just want to take an opportunity to offer ourselves, some of our staff come up and let's just face some of our leaders, elders. We're going to be down here. And we, come on campus, yeah. We just want to be here to pray for you. Maybe you need some guidance. Maybe you need some direction. Again, not that we're perfect or we know everything. But what if God wants to speak to you today through community, through people who love you and are listening to the Lord? Maybe today you say, man, I need to be filled with the Spirit. I've been waiting. I, I didn't know about this. Or maybe I'm ready now to receive because reception has its own battles. I want to employ you as the worship team comes up and we sing worship with us. But if you need prayer, we want to pray for you. We want to let the Holy Spirit move and walk in his way and come into agreement. You can experience God in a fresh way. Will you stand to your feet? And I'm going to pray. Father, we bless you. We thank you. We worship you. We trust you, God. You are good. Your presence is here. Let us not be in such a hurry that we miss you. Above all things, God. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray with you. Let's worship.